It is a wonderful thing. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Lord's Supper before we take it this morning. And I want to kind of focus on the fact that we are having communion with the Savior, with Jesus Christ, okay? And uh, over the years, many of us have taken the Lord's Supper. I know I've taken it since I was a little kid, I felt like. But since I became a pastor, I believe and I feel in my convictions that there is more to gain from this meal that the Lord gave us. There's more for us to kind of understand and grasp. I know some of you have been taking the Lord's Supper longer than I have. But Jesus wants us to commune with him directly. Directly. He gave his supper for that purpose. And so Christ took the Passover meal, the Passover meal that the Jews had celebrated for centuries, millennia actually, and he converted it basically. He transformed it into what we now call the Lord's Supper. Listen to what he said the night before he was crucified in Luke chapter 22. When the hour came, he reclined at the table with the apostles and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. See, he makes the bread and the wine there a sign, kind of a, a sign of the new covenant. He ties them, these two elements, to the promise that God's made, the new promise that he's made about our souls, about salvation. And so Jesus names it. He, he basically makes it a seal of the new covenant. Whenever any kind of contract or covenant was made back in those days, they would take melt wax on it, seal it with a ring, Jesus is sealing this covenant that God's making with us by the Lord's Supper. On the cross, God saved a people for himself through the blood of Jesus Christ. On that cross, he saved a people. He freed us, those of us who believe, from sin and death to make, them, to make us his own. And on the night before that great act of deliverance, Jesus gave them a meal to celebrate, just like the meal that God gave the Jews before they left Egypt. It was a meal that night before they left the next morning. He's given us this meal for the same thing. The meal defines God's new people. And we are God's new people as the church of Jesus Christ. And those who celebrate it make that distinction by the way we celebrate it. So this meal that we take retells the story of our salvation and brings God's past act of deliverance into our present. So every time we do this, it reminds each Christian that we were lost in sin and that our Lord Jesus is the God who saves. So as we prepare to eat it this morning, I want to emphasize two aspects of the meal for our soul today. First of all, that Christ is actually present here in this meal, in this time. He is actually here. I want to explain that because I know some of you are probably thinking of, of other denominations and religions that use that same terminology, but I want to explain that. And first I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22. This is where I believe we get this, this concept of him being present in the meal. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to sensible people. 
Judge for yourselves what I am saying. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? What, I am, what I, am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? See, Paul commands them to run away from idolatry. He's been talking about this. This is a struggle in the church in Corinth. Run away from the idolatry, the idea that something can replace your God that you have believed in. He reminds them that they know what it means to separate themselves from these associations. And he uses the Lord's Supper to kind of explain why they need to separate themselves from it. See, this is the key point of this passage. In the Lord's Supper, we share a fellowship, a participation with Christ Jesus. This sharing is connecting with Jesus' blood and body. It's a connection. It's not just something we take kind of in a, in a memorial way. And the presence of Christ is in the bread and the wine, the juice, and it unites us as one body and with Jesus our Savior. So it unites us as well as it unites us with Jesus. That's, that's really what verse 16 is about. The sharing is connecting Jesus' blood and body. And then in verse 17, he talks about it making us one body. See, the Lord's Supper defines the company we keep as Christians. The company we keep as Christians is Christ in us and believers around us, the church. And this twofold fellowship is what we celebrate in the meal that we all take in a moment. See, the Lord's Supper beautifully, beautifully illustrates what it means to be a Christian. Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we have fellowship with him, and we also have fellowship with one another. Verses 18 through 22 of this passage points to how any sacrifice made to any other God is uniting yourself with that God. It connects those people that do that to the God. He talks about it with Israel, and when they took the sacrifices, they ate the sacrifice that they brought to the tabernacle and then eventually the temple. Per Moses' law, they became part of the, the sacrifice. The pagan sacrifices are the same way. These things are meant to connect them to their God. That really isn't even there. It's a, it's a false God. And it really, as Paul tells them, it connects them to demons because there is no other God but God. So anything anybody worships other than Yahweh, other than the one true living God, is a demon. It's a poser. It's allowing any other God into the, near their hearts. And they, he says, don't, don't do this. Don't participate. Don't go to them. That was a big discussion going on in Corinth. Can we go to their worship services? Can we eat the meat from their services? All those kind of things. It lead, leads to a divided heart. He says, you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't eat the, the bread of the Lord and the bread of demons. You can't do that. And we provoke God's jealousy, which is a very serious jealousy. See, we, get, we just blow off jealousy sometimes because human jealousy is usually based on selfishness, not God's. God is perfect jealously. And so we need to make sure that we're not provoking his jealousy. We provoke that when we divide our hearts and we're not worshiping the one true living God. 
So like I said, the key point of this passage is that Christ is spiritually and substantially present by his divine attribute of omnipresence in the elements of the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, the gospel of Jesus becomes not just something we hear, it's not just something we, we, we see, but it is something we actually eat. That we eat the gospel, in a sense. We take that into ourselves. Now, this is not transubstantiation. That's what the Catholics do. The priest supposedly embodies the stu- Jesus into the stuff, and it's salvific. And the Lord's Supper is not salvific. It doesn't save you, okay? You do this because you're saved, not to be saved. This is not consubstantiation, which is what the Lutherans do. They believe that the spirit of, G- of Jesus exists in the bread. It's a little different the way Luther wanted it to be. But it is the fact that because Jesus is God and Jesus is omnipresent in, in all of life and creation, he is in these elements. And we should take it that significant. We should make it that significant in our hearts. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked because he introduced, instituted this by declaring, this is my body and this is my blood. And sometimes we've made it too symbolic. We've made it really symbolic. We've made it too figurative. And it makes it more of a memorial than memorable. And as a believer in Christ, we need to make this a much more special event. It's an intimate time of worship. It's an intimate time of communion with our Savior. He said to do this in remembrance of him. We got it plastered on the front of the table there. That's intentionally why I don't cover up that part when we do the Lord's Supper with with the tablecloth. We do this in complete remembrance of him. Christ wants us to expect and partake this supper as his presence. So we need to give Jesus the honor he deserves. And he ordained it in this event. Which means, the second point this morning is, be sure you are in Christ. Be sure you are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34, is, is the clearest instructions on the Lord's Supper that we have in Scripture. We know Jesus instituted it, and he said do it in remembrance of, of him. But this is probably... Clear instructions on how to do this. Let me read this passage for you. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper, so one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. 
For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are dis disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give you instructions about the other matters whenever I come. Long passage, but I want us to understand, they, they were really misbehaving at the Lord's Supper. I mean, it was atrocious. One guy was eating all the food, another guy was getting drunk off the wine. It was terrible. And, and Paul gives some direct corrections. He's very, he's very frustrated with them, very frustrated. First of all, he talks about their divisiveness. They're living in two different worlds, the rich and the, and the poor. They're, they're not loving each other. And these factions are very obvious. The second thing he points out is even though they take the element, elements, they fail at communion with God. They're failing totally. They may call it the Lord's Supper. They may call it that. But it is anything but honoring to Jesus. Anything but. Their actions really showed disdain and dishonor to Christ's body and the members. And their behavior garners discipline from Paul, not praise. And so, like Jesus, that he says, Jesus made it clear, it was a direct representation of his body to eat this supper. See, the supper does not save, but it proclaims the salvation in Jesus Christ alone. So, so we need to make sure, verses 27 through 30 is where this really gets, this is the key point this morning on this. Here are the, it's, it's we shame the name of the Lamb of God when we misuse the supper. We shame his name. We disgrace him. He says, don't take it in an unworthy manner. Well, I know for years, I thought that was just make sure you've confessed your sins and, and you've got a, a right attitude. But I think he's saying more of that. I think he's saying that we need to be saved. Make sure you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. It's a must. That's how we make sure we're worthy to take the supper. See, saying you're saved, just declaring it, oh, I'm saved, that doesn't work. Being dunked in the baptistry, that doesn't save you. Or being in the church building, in a church group, that doesn't save you either. Okay? We must be born again. We must be born again. That's a, that's a significant event Trusting Jesus only and living like we trust him only. So you need to ask yourselves this morning, do you tr trust totally? Do you trust totally in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? We all need to be forgiven. None of us are sinless. We're all guilty. We need that forgiveness. Do you trust in that what Jesus has done? So when, when we evaluate ourselves, when Paul tells them, evaluate, judge yourself, check yourself. We need to evaluate. We need to examine. We need to dig deep. Dig deep and make sure that our heart is committed to Jesus, that we are trusting him for the, the forgiveness of our sins. Because see, the right answer is very crucial in this case. There are consequences to mishandling the Lord's Supper. Paul made that very clear. Paul's not guessing that some of them are ill and sick because they've mishandled the Lord. So he's, they're saying he, they, that they are because they mishandled the Lord. So some have even died, Paul declares, because they have misused and abused the Lord's Supper. There are consequences to this. 
and judgment comes. When we participate without faith in the Lamb of God's Supper, we will see those consequences. See, Jesus is present in the elements, like I made in the first point, and taking them improperly slanders his sacrifice. And Paul adds that our own evaluation, we might look at ourselves and we might be a little soft on ourselves. I know I tend to be a little soft on myself when I'm trying to evaluate whether I'm doing the right thing or not. But let God judge your heart. Ask God to sift your heart. Ask God to evaluate what's in your heart. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? See, God's glory is something he will never, ever be lighthearted about. He never, ever, he will protect it. He will always protect it. He will always perfect it. So we need to beware. Now, this is not a threat from Paul, and it's not a threat from me, <laughs> but it's a revelation that God's reverence toward this supper is very important. We don't want to make the elements difficult. We don't want to make it hard or complicated, but God's word desires for us to sincerely, not passively, but sincerely check our devotion to him. God wants us to experience the positive communion that comes from this event with his son, and this covenant meal that he established. So don't dismiss your doubts or your conscience. Don't say, well, I think I am. Don't dismiss that. Seek God in prayer to confirm that your soul is secure. Only those who trust in Jesus' death to save them should commemorate Jesus' death with the church. Only those who have believed that. That's what it means to be born again. And Jesus said, whoever is not for us is against us. He was talking about this as much as anything else. So have you lived for Jesus? Have you been born again? And if not, why not? Only those who hope in Jesus, whose hope is in Jesus' blood and righteousness, should partake of the supper. Taking part means you're confessing one thing. This is true, that Jesus died for our sins, and is true for me. This is Jesus, my Savior. That's what it means when you, when you partake of this. You're saying that. So faith is the grounds by which anyone can participate in the blood and body of Christ. And here's what faith sounds like. See, you either have faith in Jesus Christ or you don't. Hear this quote from Dallas Willard. He says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. That's what salvation does. That's what being born again means, is you act like it's the only way you can get right with God. You live that way. I hope you have examined your heart, made sure this week that you have been living for Christ, and also to make sure that you are born again, because that's who partakes of this, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So now before we take this important sacrament, sacrament, we're going to do what Paul suggests. We're going to take some time, some silent prayer time for you to consult your conscience, your heart, to talk to God, find out where you stand before we take the Lord's Supper. So we'll have a time of, of prayer, silent prayer, and I'll close us out after a minute or so. So let's, let's pray.